Uh, I know this is like a really obscure psalm that no one really is... No, I'm just kidding. So this is probably the most well-known psalm, maybe even the most well-known scripture uh, period. Um, and uh, you know, last week we looked at Psalm 121. Um, as we take this little break from Acts and, and thinking there uh, about our trust in the Lord, um, that we can be tempted to look elsewhere for help and for trust, uh, putting our, our trust in other things, but the only true hope and helper that we have is the Lord himself. Um, it doesn't make any sense really to look anywhere else. Who, what else and who else is worthy of our trust? Uh, no one as the Lord is. So when we, we first talked about the fact that uh, we would not be staying in, in this building and we discussed moving forward, we talked about the, the care of the Lord. And so thinking about that we are able to trust him and he's worthy of our trust, we, we think about his care for his people and we talked about the fact that, that we are his sheep and he's our good shepherd and, and the shepherd, the overseer of our souls, cares for us, his sheep. And so I want to jump back into that thought as we look at Psalm 23. And so we see here, this is a Psalm of David. Um, we're not given any background to this Psalm. You know, some of the Psalms tell us what prompted David to write it or what prompted the, the Psalmist to write it, but this one, this one doesn't give us that. And so I would argue that that's, that's intentional. Uh, as you compare the Psalms that do give us background to the ones that don't, I think uh, the ones that don't are intentional that, that the singer and the reader can broadly apply uh, what's said in that Psalm to their personal circumstance. And so we can do this as we look at Psalm 23. Um, Again, all we're told is that this is a psalm of David. And David is looking, maybe, either looking back on his life as a whole, if this was written at the end of David's life, maybe he's looking back and, and just seeing the care and the provision of the Lord through everything he's gone through. And, and we know he, he went through a lot, right? Uh, as we have his life recorded in First and Second Samuel there and First Chronicles. And uh, as we think of all that God brought him through, and we see God's faithfulness towards David. And, and so he may be reflecting on that, or maybe he's reflecting on a specific circumstance that he had gone through. And, and again, looking at the Lord's care in that circumstance. But in either way, David is describing the care and the provision of the Lord. And so we see David illustrate, have two illustrations in this psalm. One, it's the Lord as a shepherd, and the second is the Lord as a host. And the guest in his, his house would be David in that sense. But he begins with God as a shepherd. And, and if anyone would know what it was to be a shepherd, uh, all that a shepherd does, it was David, because David was a shepherd. He, he cared for and he defended sheep. His father's sheep, to be fair, to be um, specific. But David was also the shepherd of a nation. In the ancient Near East, uh, Middle East, uh, kings were thought of as shepherds over their people. And overall, that, that was certainly true of David as he cared for the people of Israel. But here David is, is not thinking of himself as a shepherd, not thinking of himself as the one who provides and cares for and leads, but, but he's thinking of him as the one who needs to be cared for, needs to be led, needs to be provided for. And he recognizes that God is the one who cares for him, who shepherds him. Um, as God does for all of those who are counted among his sheep, all those whom he redeems. Um, 
And so we, as we read this, we should understand that not everyone can claim God as their shepherd. He's not the shepherd of all. He's a shepherd of those who are his sheep, those whom he has made his own. But for us who can look to God as our shepherd, we should recognize what a joy that is to know him in this way. And as we look at the intimacy that there is in knowing him as our shepherd uh, through these things. So, so again, let's, let's look here. Let's read together Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as David starts off this psalm, speaking of the Lord as his shepherd, at at that time, uh, in that culture, understanding what a shepherd was and what a shepherd does, a shepherd spent all of their time with the sheep living with the sheep, every waking moment, sleeping with the sheep, putting his life on the line to protect the sheep. He would feed and lead and and give all his commitment to tending to the care of the sheep. And so picturing God as his shepherd, David demonstrates that love and care and that deep relationship, again, that intimacy that he would know with God as God cared for him. And again, so we should think this through, though. You know, it's very easy to think of this psalm, again, since it's so well-known, too, and, and God is my shepherd. And, you know, we can, anything that we're so familiar with, it's very easy to just kind of pass it through our minds without really giving it thought. But this is telling us that the God of the universe, the God that made everything from nothing but his command, who made all that is seen and unseen, this God who rules over all by his sovereignty is our shepherd. And to think of God as our shepherd really should be uh, an amazing thing. Again, it's, it's a privilege for us. Not everyone gets to know God this way. To truly know him as their shepherd. And so what does David say here? In knowing God as his shepherd, what? He says, I, I shall not want or I shall not lack. So... Is God your shepherd? Do you know God as your shepherd? And therefore, knowing God as your shepherd, can you say, I don't lack. I'm satisfied because God's my shepherd. I, I never get worked up and worried and concerned about what's next. I, I never am discontented with what I have and what my situation may be because God's my shepherd. Right? Which of us? We say that all the time, right? Is God our shepherd? Then why can't we say, I shall not want, or I shall not lack? Sometimes it's because if I just, if I just had this, this one thing, If I just had this, I'd be satisfied. 
You know, if I just had a little more money, if I could just get that raise at work, if I could just replace my old clunky car, if I could just, whatever it is, you got, all of us got our personal things. If I just had that, I'd be good to go. Or as a church, if we just had our own building to go to, we'd be good, right? Set. But is that really true, to be honest? That, that's how we think, that's how we feel, but is that true? Uh, what's, what's our experience in all of that? If I, just, if I do get that one thing that I, I think is that, that thing that I need, if I do get it, what, what happens? There's always something else, right? There's always just one thing more, right? We actually even see that in Ecclesiastes too, right? Uh, David must have passed this knowledge on to his son, who was very familiar with that. It's always just one thing more that we need. Because really the problem isn't what we don't have, the problem's What? our hearts. And where are we actually looking for that satisfaction and and to be complete? What are we really trusting in? Are we really trusting in our shepherd to provide for us, to lead us, to guide us? Are we really trusting in his goodness? Are we trusting in in our own thoughts of what what will actually provide for us? Do we really know what we need? Sometimes our problem is, well, not sometimes, so much of the time, our problem is that we don't, we confuse needs and wants. And we have a good argument for saying, I need this, but the truth is, we would survive without it. Wouldn't be as fun, may make life a little more complicated, but is that really a bad thing? Because what does that do? when the things that we tend to rely on and trust in for our comfort and our satisfaction, when those things are taken away, it forces us to look to our shepherd. Right? Uh, that quote from Spurgeon is always a good one. I learned to kiss the wave that throws me back upon the rock of ages. Right? It's a good thing. Um, when we are in a situation that would make us unsettled, that forces us to look to our shepherd. We should find our settlement, our satisfaction with him, not with our things. I have everything because I have him. I don't need anything else when I have him. He's my shepherd. I, I shall not want. We need to think more like that. We need to understand that. Understand that all that he provides is in his wisdom, not our own. And so whatever he decides is good for us is what really is good for us. And if he hasn't given it to us, we can trust that he's going to give what we really actually need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we go on there, right? In the, in the very next verse, verse 2, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, the word green here refers to lush and fresh grass, like after, after a rain. And this demonstrates the extent and the quality of God's provision. It doesn't always seem to us like the provision is, is lush and fresh grass, right? Sometimes it might seem like we're chewing on, on gravel. But again, if he's given it to us, then it's, it's exactly what we need. And we need to trust that. Because our shepherd is good, right? And we see that this provision 
uh, of these, these grassy fields that, that the sheep can lay down in, right? And D.A. Carson points out that sheep don't lay down when they're hungry. Uh, they stand to eat. They lay down while they digest their food. And it's the picture of a sheep lying down that is a sheep that is content. He has all his needs met. His belly is full and he feels safe so he can lie down. Sheep by nature are skittish creatures. They're easily spooked. But understanding the care of the shepherd, the sheep can rest. And so even in the situations we have, you know, God brings us to certain things, and what he often does is he reveals our hearts in whatever he brings us to. And maybe even in a situation like we have with with the building, and just for the record as I say this, I'm pointing at myself first. (laughs) Maybe he's revealing in our hearts how skittish we are, how easily spooked we are. I mean, we've wanted to leave this building, right? But we wanted to leave on our own terms. And, and now we get pushed out, not on our terms, not the way we'd like to, and oh, what are we going to do? Why are we so easily spooked? When the Lord is our shepherd, right? What did we read last week in Psalm 121? It's the Lord who does not slumber or sleep. Right? Real shepherds, like not just imagery made to understand God's care for us, but but the shepherds in those times in David's day, when David was watching sheep, guess what he would do sometimes? He would sleep. He would sleep with the sheep, so he'd be as protective as he could, but, but that, for a man, can only go so far. Our shepherd doesn't sleep. He's always watching, right? He's always protecting. Why would we be spooked, whatever our situation is? Do we not know that, that all has been ordained before the foundation of the earth by our good shepherd? And that's true in every aspect of our life, whether we're talking about ourselves as a church and the situation we have, or whether it's whatever personal situation you find yourself in, and whatever's going on with you, and all the, the what-ifs, and, and how is this going to work out, or, or when is this going to be the case, and all the questions that we can have, as we can't see how things are going to work out, and how we can have the tendency to fill our minds with all kinds of concerns of of what could happen, what may be the case that we don't actually know will be, right? And and we can get ourselves worked up on things that may never actually come to volition, which is really foolish and illogical. But how many of us do that? (laughs) It's one of those things where I wish I, I never do that. I wish I could say that, but I can't. And it's a struggle. But all such fears then can cause us to act with haste, without rationale, without considering what the Lord really wants us to do in those situations. And honestly, too, we have to understand that what we want and what we prefer in those situations and what we would, how we would want things to work out isn't actually what matters. What our will is, is not what matters. What matters? What's the Lord's will? Because for however we could try to defend our will and say our will is right and good, if it's not the Lord's will, then can we really defend it that way? Why? Because our Lord is always right and always good. And his will, therefore, is always right and always good. It's his will that matters. That's why when we pray, we're not supposed to pray according to our will, 
but his will, right? We're to submit ourselves to his will and trust the Lord's provision through it all. That's what we need to do. We're to be content in him. We're not to fear. Content in him knowing that he leads us. And we see how he leads us in the psalm. He leads us beside still waters. Not rushing waters, not where uh, the sheep could come down to take a drink and get swept away. But he leads us beside still waters. So not only does the shepherd provide pastures for fresh grazing that the sheep can lie down in, but he takes huge rocks and he takes boulders and he builds up a dam to slow down or still the waters altogether. So that there is ultimately nothing to fear. There's no true need that goes unmet. We need to recognize that. He makes me lie down. He leads me. It's all what he does through it all. And not only did David say that God makes him lie down, and that he leads him beside still waters, but David said he restores my soul. These are the same words that we read in Psalm 19, verse 7. The the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, or restoring the soul, or turning the soul. All ways that it can be translated. And what this is likely referring to here in Psalm 23 is the restoration of a cast sheep. Now you might ask, what is a cast sheep? I assume you're asking, because when I was reading this, I asked, what is a cast sheep? (laughs) I don't know. Um, So I had to look that up a little more. A cast sheep is a sheep that has wandered off, it falls, and it's flipped on its back, and it can't get itself right side up. And so... It has to lay there and flail about until the shepherd finds it and can save it. If the shepherd does not find the sheep, the sheep can be in great danger of predators, right? Can't get away. Or often, if it lays there long enough, gases will build up in its intestines and cause its belly to become bloated and can cut circulation off from its legs, therefore, and so it it can die. Now, how many sheep is it that our shepherd can't find? When one of God's wanders, they can get themselves in a great danger, having fallen into deadly sin. But again, we read here, he restores my soul. The shepherd, for all of his sheep, he brings them to repentance. He restores them. He causes them to turn. So as David say, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. We need to be led in paths of righteousness. When we've been rescued off the path of sin, we must be led in the right path, like sheep. There's a reason the metaphor is sheep. Because sheep left to themselves are just going to wander into all kinds of dangers and all kinds of... But they're not... They're not the brightest animal. And there's a lot of people that will make the point of, you know, how we're compared to sheep. (laughs) They need to be led. We need 
to be led by our shepherd. And he leads us in paths of righteousness, lest we would wander off to where we should not go. He leads his sheep, and the Lord leads us by his word and by his spirit. And what's true of you, I know it's true of you because it's true of me. If not for our shepherd's leading, I would run headlong into my sin. I would sprint there to my sin. And so I need him to lead me. And as we look at this, why does he do all this? Uh, why does he make us lie down in green pastures? Why does he lead us beside still waters? Why does he restore our soul and lead us in paths of righteousness? Why does he do all that? And we may say, because he loves me. And is that true? Yes. <laughs> it is true, yes, because he loves us. Absolutely that's true. We have to be careful, though. Because we can look at all this and say, look, look how much he loves me. Look all that he does for me. And as we think about this, we can quickly then make it all about me. Look at how he loves me. Because I'm so lovable. No, it's not really about me. He doesn't love me because I'm so lovable, because really, I'm not. I'm a wretched sinner. The fact that he loved me, loves me is not a testament to how lovable I am. It's a testament to how loving he is. And whenever we think of these things, we need to be careful not to point the spotlight on ourselves, which we so often tend to do, but focus it where it belongs, on him. Ultimately, yes, it's, he loves us. But even that, we have to ask why. Why does he do all of these things? Well, it tells us here. What's the next thing it says? For his name's sake. It's all about him. Everything he does, even in his love for us, it's about him. It's for his name's sake. Uh, think of what uh, God said through the prophet Isaiah uh, about rescuing Israel. Why does he rescue Israel? Because Israel should be rescued? No, they shouldn't, actually. Uh, why is he going to preserve a remnant to fulfill all of his promises through? Because Israel's worth it? No. He says, I do this for my name's sake. I do it for my own glory, and I'm not going to share my glory with anyone else. Now, sometimes that rubs us the wrong way. You say, why is God all about him and everything that he does? Uh, if I were all about me and everything I did, you'd call me narcissistic. And way too often, you probably could call me narcissistic. But you call me that, that derogatory term, because it's not, I'm not worthy of it being all about me. I'm a worm in this world. But he is worthy of it being all about him. It's only right that it's all about him. As John Piper put it, for him to make it about anything else would be to make it about the lesser thing. And that would make God an idolater. But it's only right that it's all about him. There's no one else who could be about. And so for this reason, for this, for this purpose, for his name's sake, he, he leads us. He cares for us. And he will lead us to demonstrate his glory. In however he does. Even as we're going to go to Faith's building, 
And as we move forward as a church and submit ourselves to Him, as we are His church, we follow Him, our shepherd, for His namesake. It's all about Him. And whatever our situation is, whatever heartache we might might find ourselves in, whatever struggle is in our personal lives, we trust His leading through those things and that he's going to glorify himself through that. He's going to show himself to be the God that he really is through it all. When we come to here suddenly the uh, David shifts talking about the the Lord uh, and the metaphor changes a little bit here. Um, I, I would argue that the uh, the um, or not, not, it doesn't change, sorry. That's not where it changes. But, but, but this is where the pronouns change. Where he changes from talking about the Lord to talking to the Lord. And again, I, I would say, and, and many commentators do, this, this shows the intimacy here in all of this. And the intimacy comes as, as specifically as David talks about the valley of the shadow of death. Our discomforts our trials, our pains, the death of a loved one, or even our own mortality can be used by God to draw us into a, a more intimate walk in knowledge of Him. And, and even with all those things then that we would never choose to go through, never want to go through, if it draws us closer to Him, to know Him all the more, to trust Him more, to surrender to Him more, as we grow in in an intimate knowledge of Him more and more, because He's the God that He is, even though it's things that we would never choose for ourselves, we should recognize those things as, as really a blessing. If we know Him more through it, because again, knowing Him more is worth everything. Because there's nothing greater than Him. There's nothing that deserves glory as he does. There's nothing nothing like him. And so whatever causes us to know his glory all the more, even though it's something that's painful and hurts, or is scary and, discom- and, and uncomfortable, it's worth it. He's so holy and so great and so glorious that even our deepest pain and greatest fears are worth it when it brings us closer to him. We could lose all. But to know we have Him is to then know we really have everything. If we have Him, what else could we need? So as a shepherd would lead his sheep from one place of grazing to another, uh, there were times where they would pass through valleys uh, full of all kind of possible dangers. But no matter the danger, no matter the fear, David says, even when I, uh, even then... As he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, even then I will fear no evil, despite any danger, even death itself. David could still have a great confidence for the Lord's presence, as the Lord is his protector and his guide to the other side of the valley. And David exclaims here, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
The rod was used to defend the sheep from predators and thieves. Or even to discipline the sheep to keep them on the right path. The staff uh, was hooked. Um, and, And so it would be used to pull the sheep from thickets or ditches or narrow spaces between rocks. And so the shepherd, having these tools, would be a comfort to the sheep. And these symbols, or these tools symbolize the Lord's protection and discipline and guidance. And so therefore, David looks at these things with comfort. I don't need to fear. And and therefore, as we think of what this is and how the Lord works in our lives, uh, we should have comfort as well. No matter what the dark valley is that we walk through. Even, even if it's death. If our shepherd guides us and protects us, then we can take comfort in all of that. Now here, this is where the imagery shifts. All right? this, this is where it shifts here. And it shifts, shifts from a shepherd to a host. And again, David's like a guest in a house. And in this, David continues the idea that he would lack nothing. Nothing that is good. No no blessing does God withhold. Even, as David says here, in the presence of my enemies. Even surrounded by those who would want to do David harm. God does not remove David from their presence. But instead, he provides for him in their presence. And so we should be thinking, too, God does not always choose, and very often doesn't, choose to remove us from our circumstance and from uh, the things that would cause us to fear and the things that that tempt us to to run to trust other things and and all of that uh, turmoil in our lives and whatever danger it is, God doesn't necessarily take us out of that, but he provides for us in it. So again, this is just another example of how the prosperity gospel is just dead wrong. He doesn't take us out. And he provides, as David says here, it's like, like the great spread of a, a fine feast, right? And he said that he, he anoints my head with oil. Oil was often used to anoint the head of an honored guest. And it's a picture of blessing and refreshment. And we see the idea that his cup overflows. Again, referring to the abundance of God's provision. Any one of us who knows the work of the Lord in our lives, no matter what we have faced, no matter what we have gone through, we can testify to the abundant grace that God has supplied for us through whatever our circumstances were. No matter what has happened. And if he's provided for us then, what have we said so many times over and over again? If he's provided for us then in in those past experiences that we've had, if he was faithful then, uh, what can we trust now? He's going to be faithful now. He's going to provide for us now. We can trust that. Why? Why can we trust that that if he was faithful then, if he provided then, he'll be faithful and provide now? Because he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can trust that. And so it's good, really, to reflect on past things. Sometimes we don't want to think of past trials when we're especially in the midst of a trial. 
But it's good to. It's good to actually reflect on those things before we hit the trials, to prepare ourselves for the trials. It's good to, uh, be, uh, to know our theology of suffering before we suffer so we're prepared, trying to gather it all together in the midst of suffering. That, that Well, if your mind is like mine <laughs> and suffering causes scattered brain and everything else and try to hold things together, uh, it's going to be harder all the more to get our theology right in the midst of suffering than it is to be prepared ahead of time. And that we can go into suffering with the right theology and the right view of God to say, I can trust Him. And therefore, our minds don't have to be scattered and, and, and all of that. And so we can go through whatever it is that He leads us through. And, and on the other side, we'll have opportunity to testify of His abundant provision and how great of a shepherd He is. And we can stand and give Him praise. And that our, our situations would glorify Him. He's our strength to overcome. He is our, our wisdom and He is our guide. He causes our cup to overflow. And so like David, if the Lord is our shepherd, we can say surely that beyond a doubt, goodness and mercy... God's covenant faithfulness, His steadfast love, shall follow me all the days of my life. In the ups and the downs, through the tears, through laughter, the blessings of God will relentlessly pursue me. And when all is said and done, when I've passed through the dangers of life, and my shepherd has led me to the other side, to be safely with him, the other side of the valley of the shadow of death, Even in that, death is a good thing. For my absolute hope, my great joy, which can lift up my head in the darkest times, that no matter what happens on this side of eternity, David tells us where our hope is. That I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All of this Whatever the, the, the pain, whatever the, the discomfort, whatever the worry, whatever it is, all of that is temporary. It's for the here and now. But we're heading somewhere that is not temporary. We're heading somewhere that is eternal. And that is in God's presence. And, and so if God is great enough, if God is glorious enough, that, that whatever we go through that, that helps us to know him more, and helps us to live for His glory more, and helps us to walk in a more intimate relationship with Him more, if whatever we go through causes that, and therefore whatever we go through is worth it, because He's that great and that glorious, how much more is our joy then to know that we will one day be in His presence forever? That, that whatever hinders our intimacy now with Him is all going to be stripped away, and we're going to have a relationship with Him, and be able to worship Him and honor Him like we've never been able to before. When this stinking, sinful flesh is gone. And I can know him in a way I've never known him. Dwelling in his presence forever. How great is that? And if we can just fix our focus there, remembering that he's our shepherd that's going to bring us safely there, we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We can walk through whatever our circumstances is here as we follow our shepherd through it. We know the end. Granted, I might not know from this spot to that spot. I don't know. I might not know what's in between, but I know the end and I'm going to get there. 
He's guaranteed it. And so we can trust him through all of that. Look how good our shepherd is. And why would we not trust his care? Why would we doubt his care? No, be, uh, when we get to Romans 8, Lord willing, when we get there, and, and we see, you know, that's, that's, some call that the, the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. And we see how nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. No matter what it is. And, and he, Paul makes the point that, that, that he who did not even spare his own son, Right? He's not going to give up on us now. And we look at what Paul says in Galatians, that, that he knows the love of Christ, that, that the Son of God loved Paul, and we can all say this if we're saved, that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And if we know this, how could we not trust his care through everything? That he, he, was a, he already laid down his life for us. And this is the very thing that where Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, right? In John chapter 10, verses 14 to 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you know Christ has given himself for you? Do you know if you're trusting in him? Do you really understand to say Christ died for me? He settled my debt, my sin, the wrath that was against me. He, he, he absorbed it all in my place. He died for me. Is there any reason I shouldn't trust him now through everything else I'm going through? He's already defeated the biggest thing I would have to face. He's already dealt with it. Can I not trust him through this temporary suffering and this temporary discomfort now? We can. We can know he is our shepherd. He's the good shepherd. We can trust him. If we have him, what else do we need? Any other thoughts or, or comments on that? So we can trust him, right? moving forward and everything that he brings in, in our path. We can, we can trust him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Glorify yourself in us. Show yourself in us how worthy you are of our trust, how worthy you are of, of everything that we would go through as you lead us. And, and Father, in it, let us seek to please you through it all. We're so grateful for how you care for us. We're so grateful that you sent Christ to die for us and he laid down his life for us. And so, Father, let us uh, seek to glorify you in all that you've done for us, for all that you are as our good shepherd. And so, Father, we thank you for how you've provided for us and help us to trust and, and not grumble, not harden our hearts like Israel did in the wilderness and all the ways that you provided for them. Let, let us recognize your provision and your guidance and glorify you through it all. Let it be all for your name's sake. We thank you. Amen.